Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tim Bowen Show. We've got a special treat for you today. This guy disappeared for a while. Some some of you might have seen him in uh, in those commercials, those Doseki commercials, the most interesting man in the world. This is the actual guy that that character is based off of. Um, he's the real deal. He's the most interesting man in the world. And uh, for some reason, he just kind of disappeared off of uh, social media last year or two. The last time I saw him, he was he was starring in an HBO show called The Anarchist. So I want to catch up with this guy and see what my old pal Jeff Berwick has been up to. Jeff, welcome to the show. Good to see you, brother. Thanks, Tim. Long time no talk. Yeah. So, so where you been? What happened to you? You, you disappeared. I, I haven't seen hide nor hair of you, young man. Well, uh, apparently you're just uh, following me on Twitter or something because I, I've been around. I'm still here, um, but oh. um, I got uh, banned on Twitter about almost exactly two years ago, right when all the COVID stuff uh, really got rolling. They wanted to bring out the lethal injections for the uh, genocide, basically. Uh, right. They decided that it wasn't good uh, to have me on, on Twitter talking about this stuff. So I got deleted from YouTube and Twitter and FBI book all about two years ago. But the funny thing is, I don't know if it has to do with uh, Elon uh, buying Twitter, but it probably does, uh, that uh, I think they really loosened up on who they were uh, banning on Twitter. And so uh, it was actually in Arcapoco, my event, that uh, they got deleted too about two years ago or a year ago. And uh, they asked to be re uh, re uh, put back on, and they were. So I thought, oh, I'll give it a try on my old one. So, so I'm back on Twitter, and then you saw me, and then I actually saw you because I'm not really on Twitter very much. And I, I was like, oh, Tim's got a new show. That's awesome. So yeah. we're, we're back in contact. But it's actually a, a good thing to tell people because when I got, I got basically blocked and banned almost everywhere, and I was only had communications with some people on various sites. Like for example, with you, we always talk through Twitter for some reason. Uh, so I'm going to make sure I get like alternative ways of contacting you and keeping in touch for when I get banned again, which is almost surely going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, social media sites and alternative media sites there, you, you know, I I'm like broadcasting the show on rumble on uh parlor on Facebook on, uh, uh, YouTube on, you know, there, it's just like, you got to spread yourself all, all over the place now to keep from, from getting banned and keep your voice out there. So, you know, um, it's difficult to keep track of where everyone is these days. Uh, there, there ought to be an app for that or something. It seems like I just hit on a business idea there, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll file that in the old uh, bank here. Um, okay. So just to give my audience a little background. You, uh, you're, you're from my neck of the woods originally. You're from Edmonton. You're, are you still an Oilers fan, Jeff? Or Yeah, I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, you haven't, we haven't, uh, you know, you haven't, fallen too far off the off the map then well you know, um, you know when like i was like i was a huge like i was around i don't know how old you are but i was like sitting front row for like wayne gretzky uh oh, yeah. yuri curry and grand fear and all the guys uh for uh, and marc messier uh for all their cups basically and I actually found a way to sneak into the into the arena for about five dollars uh and sent front row i, I was always, always been a bit of an entrepreneur and i figured out a way why doesn't that so, surprise so, me yeah, so, you know, <laughs> that's like, for people out there who don't know hockey, it's like sitting front row for all of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls Cups. Yeah. Like, you know, just like magical, amazing uh, time, right? So I got super into it. I was playing hockey, of course. It's mandatory in Canada, as you know, yeah. you have to play hockey as a child. And uh, so I got into it a lot then. And then, you know, I, I kind of didn't care that much for like 15 years. I'd pay attention. I actually, I actually remember I was in Thailand Thailand when the Oilers last made the finals against Carolina around 2007, I think. And I was sitting there in an in a internet cafe at like five in the morning because that was what time the game was on, basically. Right. But I, I paid attention then because they were in the finals. But I really started paying attention again when they got Connor McDavid. I was like, how yeah. amazing is this? They had Gretzky and now they have Connor McDavid. So I've gotten back into it. Yeah, man, they've they've really revitalized the franchise. So we're we're still hoping for the glory days back in the '80s to to reemerge again. But okay, you, you grew up in this neck of the woods. You you've always been an entrepreneur. You started at this uh, online company called Stockhouse back when there wasn't that much stock trading going on online. There wasn't that many 
internet companies to begin with. You found a niche there. You sold that for scads of money. You got in a sailboat, sailed down south, had a shipwreck <laughs> uh, somewhere in Central America, El Salvador, I think. Uh, you ended up landing in uh, Acapulco, I believe, after that. And, and you've been working to um, help people, I guess, uh, be kind of like Jason Bourne, have multiple passports, multiple uh, citizenships so that you can move around. Is that somewhat encapsulate what, what you've been doing the last little while or encapsulate? Uh, is that a decent summary of your life at this point? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an interesting summary. Uh, I would say I didn't sell the internet company for scads of money. Um, it, was, it was actually worth a few hundred million dollars during the tech bubble, but uh, I didn't well, sell it like then. Scads. And I basically oh. sold it after the tech bubble crashed for like almost nothing. Um, basically, I bought that sailboat with most of the money that I had after that um, and tried to sail around the world. But yeah, then I ended up in Acapulco. I, I don't necessarily help people get second passports and all that kind of stuff. I did try to do that once or twice, but it was a nightmare because dealing with anything to do with governments is uh, a nightmare uh, and uh, tons of scams and frauds and all that kind of stuff. And I basically you know, got screwed in so many ways on that stuff. But basically what I do is I do the Dollar Vigilante, which uh, I've been doing since 2010. Uh, which is uh, basically an anarcho-capitalist financial newsletter basically based in Austrian economics. Uh, and uh, we've been covering things like uh, Bitcoin since $3 and, and Ethereum since $2 and, and, of course, gold and silver and all that kind of stuff. Uh, basically talking about how the dollar is going to collapse. Uh, and actually, we want to help it collapse. And actually, it's, right. it's kind of happening as we speak right now. Uh, and... Um, and so that's kind of the stuff I talk about. And related to that is helping people or giving information on you know, uh, uh, being an expatriate, a uh, permanent uh, taxpayer, a prior, uh, uh, sorry, permanent tourist, prior taxpayer. <laughs> Did I say permanent taxpayer? God, <laughs> yeah, I help people become a permanent taxpayer. Uh, but that's actually a theory called the uh, five flag theory started like decades ago. Uh, and I've just been letting people know about that, which is kind of following in the footsteps of people like Doug Casey, who I kind of consider my mentor. So that's, yeah, that's basically what I do. Right. Okay. And, and, um, I, I want to get into your take on what's happening here with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and, uh, you know, how that relates to what you do. Uh, but your other big claim to fame as of late is you started this giant conference called Anarchopolco that that actually uh, was the the subject, I guess, of a HBO documentary called The Anarchists. Uh, talk a little bit about that conference. I've I, I, I've spoken there a couple of times. It's a great uh, time. I can tell you from personal experience. Uh, but what? why'd you start it and what's it all about? Yeah, so uh, I guess around the time I started the Dollar Vigilante, I, I basically started that because I was became a basically a narco-capitalist. Like I, I was a, you know, I'd been reading and learning about it for years, uh, starting with people like Doug Casey. And uh, that's when we started the Dollar Vigilante. But I was basically like really passionate about freedom and things like voluntarism or narco-capitalism. And uh, there was really at that time in 2010, very few, like, I don't think there was a anarcho-capitalist or it definitely wasn't an anarcho-capitalist one, but even a sort of a libertarian talk show sort of a thing on YouTube. Uh, and I saw so many great uh, anarcho-capitalists and voluntarists out there that weren't getting very much attention. Uh, people like yourself, for example, like I was super excited when I heard about you. I'm still a big fan of you. When I heard you have a new show, I'm like, that's awesome because you're a great speaker on all these sort of things. Uh, and uh, people like Larkin Rose, uh, you know, they're doing great stuff, uh, but hardly anyone knew about them. So I started Anarchast in 2011, which became the largest anarcho-capitalist podcast in the world, basically, and did about 500 episodes. And along the way, uh, someone just mentioned to me, because I used to go to events like Freedom Fest in Las Vegas or uh, uh, Pork Fest in New Hampshire, uh, there used to be one called Libertopia in San Diego, and I, I always complained. I was always like, why do you know have these freedom conferences in the U.S., one of the least free countries on earth, right? And I'd always complain because right. back then I was partying a lot, and, you know, the bars would close at one, and then I'd get, you know, arrested for some stupid reason, drinking a <laughs> beer outside or something. And uh, someone just said on Facebook back then when I was on Facebook that uh, you should start your own event and do it in Acapulco where you, where you are. And I thought, oh, that's a crazy idea, but why not? Let's give it a shot. And as an entrepreneur, and this little tip for people out there, always curious, how do you become an entrepreneur? 
one of the ways you do it is you just try things and you just go right. for things. Uh, and so I, I just posted a website. I said, an Arcapoco, it's here's the dates. And I invited a number of people like James Corbett, Larkin Rose, Ernest Hancock, uh, so many uh, like that, uh, Luke Radowski, Dan Dix, and uh, uh, about 150 people showed up. It didn't make any money, of course, uh, but I was surprised how many people showed up. And we actually asked everyone at the end of it, uh, do you, should we do this again next year? And everyone said, you absolutely have to. And then it kind of grew from there to the point where uh, we had a, well over a thousand people at the, like the 2008 event, uh, like 1500 people or so is a lot of crypto people because crypto is uh, near a, a top at that time. And uh, numerous things happened along the way, including a person who'd come down running from the law in the US, uh, basically living in one of the worst areas of Acapulco, somehow got kind of involved in the drug trade and got shot. Uh, nothing to do yeah. with an Acapulco, but because they came down kind of around this event sort of a thing, uh, it, it kind of just worked out to do a documentary on it all. There were some people who had been filming for years, just figuring there was a good story in Acapulco, but they didn't know what it was. And then when he got shot, his name was, uh, he was known as John Galton. Uh, and then the person who was running the event, uh, kind of something weird happened and he quit and he got mad and he tried to compete and they tried to destroy Acapulco. And then he ended up dying because he was drinking himself to death. Uh, so they were filming all these people for years before that. So they had a show with all this, you know, people dying, basically, which is, you know, stuff that, you know, catches people's interest. And yeah, uh, so that's when HBO did a document. The HBO basically just bought the documentary. They had nothing to do with it, really. And uh, right. it's kind of funny because, you know, all these uh, propaganda left wing rags came out and uh, would say things like, I think the Daily Beast called Anarchapoco a murder filled nightmare. That's what they called Jesus. the event. <laughs> they didn't call the documentary that. They could have called the documentary that, but they're like, no, that's what Anarchapoco is. It's a murder filled nightmare. Oh my and God. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I, I, I was there. My wife was there. I definitely wouldn't bring my wife uh, there uh, if I thought it was murder filled. And she definitely would never come back <laughs> if she felt in any way unsafe at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll tell you, we we came back and she loved it both times both i think two or three times we we came and uh yeah we never you know we we've certainly felt safe despite all the the propaganda talking about how how dangerous it was um yeah it's a fantastic uh event i highly recommend folks check it out if they haven't i mean there's something for everyone there's uh, you know you you had ron paul speaking at this event you you know you've got um you, you've got these side things going on with psychedelics where, you know, you can liberate your mind in different ways. I remember I, I ran into one guy at the bar and he was, he was white as a ghost, you know, this guy in probably his mid forties. And, uh, I'm like, what, what happened to you? He's like, I, I just came from a Jaguar ceremony. He's like, I died. I died. <laughs> like I died, man. Uh, and he's like, and I'm done fucking around with this life. He's like, I, I've just kind of been skating through life just on this, like, and, and yeah, I'm done fucking around. I'm, I'm living a life of meaning. Like I'm, I'm, I know exactly what I need to do when I get back. I'm quitting that job. I'm going to, I know I need to run for this office and start this thing and repair this relationship. I'm like, shit, I, you know, that, that, that's the kind of, you know, that's a life-changing thing. It reminds me of the time I almost died in a house fire. I was trapped. And I, I thought for sure I was going to die. Like I was sh sure with every fiber of my being that this was it for me. And I had all these regrets come flooding through me about the same types of things this guy was talking about, not being the dad and the husband I should be, not, you know, just playing small in life and, and kind of living this, you know, laid out, ex you know, get the car, get the house, get the second car, get the vacation home, buy the, vac you know, get the next promotion, just you know, checking off boxes and never really living a life of meaning. And uh, so I recognized that look when I saw it on his face. And luckily he didn't have to almost die in a house fire. He just went to a little side thing at a narco polco, faced his own mortality with a psychedelic and it changed his life. I could see it on, on his uh, on, on his face. So uh, really awesome. Um, okay, what what is, let, let's get into your specialty here, the dollar vigilante. And let's talk about what's going on with Silicon Valley, Valley bank. What, what, how does this relate to what you're doing? How does this relate to the state and central banking? 
Well, the, uh, the tagline for the dollar vigilante is surviving and prospering during and after the dollar collapse. So this silver uh, Silicon Valley bank collapse uh, totally relates to it because what we're seeing is basically the beginning of the end or the, yeah, you could basically say that of the US dollar, of the US banking system, of the financial system, of the monetary system itself. Uh, this is what we've been talking about uh, since we launched the dollar vigilante in 2010. And interestingly enough, I kind of I said when we started, everyone always asks, everyone always wants to know the exact date and time, right? Which is impossible for you to know, right. but you got to give an answer. And uh, so I said in 2010, I said I'm pretty sure by the end of this decade, things will be like so off the rails you won't believe it. And interestingly enough, by the year 2020, just at the very first month of that year, that's when the whole COVID pandemic came out. Everything shut down. Everything started to crash. Uh, and that's actually part of the reason why uh, Silicon Valley Bank is is uh, gone right now is because of stuff that happened even just then with the, uh, what was it, like $3 trillion stimulus bill for a uh, for a thing that doesn't even exist, the COVIDs. Uh, so that's, you know, even back then they're giving out those stimulus checks and everyone's like, yeah, I want my stimulus check. And and people like us, you know, economics are like, uh, you won't really like that a couple of years from now when you have right. basically hyperinflation. And that's basically where we're getting very close to right now, especially after the uh, Silicon Valley Bank was basically bailed out. Uh, they kind of said, oh, it's not, there's no burden on the taxpayer. Well, where did the money come from? <laughs> Well, to be honest, right. they print, they they borrow money, Janet Yellen, from the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve prints it up, puts people in the U.S. more into debt, pushes out all this massive amount of billions of dollars to save these people who took some risks they shouldn't have taken, which is called capitalism, but they don't have that in the U.S. anymore. Uh, and uh, because of that, uh, the, basically, we're, we have this inflation that we have right now that everyone's been talking about for the last few years is because of all those things that happened. So... You know, this Silicon Bank uh, collapse is just one of many uh, things that have happened and just the beginning of many things that are going to happen. Even since then, we've already seen Signature Bank just collapse the other day, although that might have been a planned takedown because of their relation to the crypto market. Uh, there's so many things going on. But at the end of this, we're either going to see basically every bank in the U.S. collapse and fail or we're going to see hyperinflation. It's one or the other and it's going to happen <laughs> fairly soon in the next couple of years, for sure, at this point. Uh, so uh, this is what the dollar vigilante was created for. And uh, we're right in the middle of it right now. Right. What uh, what can people do to to uh, not only survive uh, the apocalypse, but actually flourish um, because mm -hmm. of the apocalypse? Well, uh, in terms of like financial stuff, uh, definitely uh, just we, we talk about this all the time, precious metals, get your stuff outside of the system itself. Uh, and that includes the currency and the banks. Um, but, you know, it's also not a bad idea to have some cash on hand because a lot of people still use government cash. It's unfortunate. And that's why the world's so bad today is because of that. But, uh, you know, when we're, we're going to have all banks collapse, you're up there in Canada, like the Canadian banks are going to be even worse than the U.S. banks. It's, it's going to be unbelievable, especially with what they've been doing with the real estate market up there, which has to be on purpose to crash the entire market because they haven't allowed, the, you know, another tyrannical diktat from Justin Castro that uh, no foreigner can own real estate in Canada now. That's insane. Uh, and uh, and and we'll do only one thing, obviously, and that's collapse the real estate market. And then you have the rising interest rates on top of that. And the Canadian banks are all a monopoly and just a absolute archaic dinosaurs. Um, so they're all going to basically collapse during all of this. So you want to have your stuff outside of the system. So precious metals, gold, silver, silver coins for sure, because you can use those if uh all the banks go down uh you know people will be looking for alternatives at that point and then there's obviously cryptocurrencies uh that were you know bitcoin was launched in the first block of bitcoin it talked about the 2008 uh collapse and said essentially what it was saying was this is why bitcoin's created because this whole uh government system or the financial system which is so highly regulated and the monetary system which is a government uh system uh, is going to collapse. Uh, and so they basically were saying they're creating Bitcoin for that. So we have that now. So that's great. And I would right. definitely recommend things like Monero as well, because it's a lot more private. Bitcoin can be tracked by anyone, which is unfortunate. But um, so those are the basic things to do. But there's actually way more to, to uh, understand about this. Like if this is 
basically the apocalypse <laughs> that uh, if everything's going to collapse, uh, a lot of those financial things won't matter that much to you, at least for a while. Uh, things like survival will matter. So you, uh, the things that are really important is making sure you have uh, good access to a good food supply, uh, definitely stored food or grow your own food, a farm, that sort of a thing, or at least be around them and make sure you have access to them. Uh, we've already seen the supply chains getting damaged massively from the whole COVID thing and the Great Reset and Satan Klaus and all that. Uh, so uh, definitely make sure you have that. Make sure you have a way to protect yourself. Uh, you know, it's great now with 3D. In Canada, it's a little harder. You have to like apply for permission from the government, uh, which is, uh, you know, I wouldn't do that if I was there. I would just do it. But uh, now we have 3D printers that can print on pretty amazing guns now. Uh, so definitely just make sure you have, you know, foods, uh, water supply, uh, uh, way to defend yourself. Uh, but then on top of that is, is the most important thing. To survive what I think is coming, uh, you are going to have to be physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as good as you possibly can. Because this is going to get so bad, in my opinion, that things are going to get insane. And if you're not, first of all, physically uh, completely ready, uh, able to run 10 miles if you have to, get away from something or get to something, uh, or just uh, to be able to do a lot of things, be able to you know, if everything collapses, a lot of people are going to have to go back to growing their own food and all that. So if you're like 200 pounds overweight and you could barely even use a shovel for more than two minutes without getting out of breath, that's going to be a problem for you. Um, but more importantly is when your physical is good, and you probably know this, Tim, because you're like so into health and stuff, or at least you used to be. I haven't talked to you in a few years, but that, that's what you used to be into. Uh, and to be um, the uh, when your physical is good, then your brain is so much better. Your mental is so much better. Uh, when you're kind of like physically bad, let's say you're overweight, you're just eating the greasy food, your mind slows down and you're not able to think that well. And more importantly than that, you're not able to do things like meditate uh, and be like in that sort of a super present um, uh, zone uh, right. if your physical is not in shape. So you got to get physically in shape so your, your mind's good. And that way you can think clearly, especially in the moment as things that are chaotic or happening really fast. You got to make decisions like, should I take all my money out of Silicon Valley Bank last week when I heard there was problems? You got to be like on point and recognizing what's going on to be able to move fast to survive everything that's going to happen. But then, like I said, once your mental is good, then you can really do the the real deep spiritual and 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 self work, uh, the meditation, the uh, just looking at yourself every day and and seeing why why am I doing this? What's what programming is in my head? And and learning how to remove that programming, that kind of stuff will get you to the level where you you have the best chance possible of surviving the apocalypse. And then I would just add on top of that you know, doing all this stuff just to survive the apocalypse. At the end, it doesn't really matter. This is all a giant 3D video game. We chose to be here, <laughs> but follow your passion. And if right. you feel like, you know, this is why I'm here and I have something I can do to help contribute to a better world in the future, this is the time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that advice. You know, it's people think that there there's kind of this like one plan that you they're looking for the right plan, right? The thing that's going to relieve their anxiety about, about what's coming. And of course, there is no one right plan. It's going to be different for every individual. And so being as adaptable and hard to kill as possible <laughs> seems like the best option. And and you're, you're absolutely right. It comes down to uh, mindset, physicality, all that kind of thing. And mindset is a huge one. One of the things I've noticed lately is that, that, that I, you know, I've become aware of at least is how I I've let the, uh, the state control my mindset. You know, it, it's like I work as a firefighter paramedic, so I'm basically a government employee because there's no other avenues for a guy like me to work. And it, it sucks being a government employee. They treat you like an object of compliance and, and, um, you know, you're just a cog in a system, but I I've made it a conscious effort to not let, uh, not let the government rob my joy. Um, you know, the, the, the actual work I do provides value to people. They, I can see it. I can see tangible effects of helping people in their time of crisis. I, I see people on the worst day of their life and I help them out. And that that's incredibly rewarding, except that the government <laughs> remove, removes all the joy and meaning from work. So, so to me, uh, that that mindset is all important and and i operate at a much higher level 
if, if my heart's full of gratitude and, and, um, if I'm not constantly, uh, letting thinking negative thoughts and, and grumbling and whining and whinging about all, all the way the government's getting me down, um, my, my mind just operates at a higher level. So it's, it's, you know, that whole idea of being a happy warrior, you know, going to battle with a smile on your face and, and let come what may, but that, that doesn't just come, you, you can't just switch that on and off if you've never done it before. It takes practice and it takes, whether it's meditation or, um, you know, practicing stoicism or something like that, like the Stoics would, would uh, you know, they were, they were wealthy men in their time, but they would do things like lie on their stone floor and, and go without food for two or three days and just sleep like on, on the cold floor. And just to remind themselves that, yeah, I can do this. If I lost everything, I can survive. It's not that big a deal. It's like, you know, I'll find food. I'll figure out, you know, I'll get sleep somehow. I don't need, need my, uh, you know, soft down bed or whatever like that to, to, if that's gone for me, my happiness isn't gone for me. And so, uh, I like what you said there about really focusing on yourself and, and being able to adapt to any situation. And, you know, I think also being, being, understanding what your value to others is too, it would be important because even if you don't have a store of gold or Bitcoin or something like that, if you can do things that other people find valuable, you can get the stuff you need to survive, right? Uh, if you can fix cars, if you can build shelters, if you can, uh, you know, do provide healthcare or medicine, um, you know, all those things are going to be valuable to people. So, uh, what, what is, what is your, kind of passion right now, Jeff, what, what is keeping you busy? Uh, you, you're just coming off another Anarcho-Polco, right? How did that go? And what, what are your plans, you know, for the next big project? Yeah, it went great. Uh, but before we move on to that, I wouldn't mind just talking briefly about, uh, you know, firefighting and uh, the government, when the government's uh, kind of does the firefighting, um, you know, at Anarcho-Polco this year, someone did a speech, I haven't seen it yet, about how to start your own volunteer fire department. So that's kind of interesting. Oh, nice. But yeah, so you might want to check that out. I'll, I'll make sure you get that. And um, uh, yeah, it's kind of, you know, of all the government uh, things that governments do, there's very, very few. Like, I can't think of more than probably this one, firefighters, that uh, I, I think are actually like something we valuable. <laughs> like, right. like everything else is horrible. Uh, and of course, it could be privatized. And that's the thing. Um, well, but, and, and it would be a lot better. I mean, actually, oh, yeah, one, really one, of, one of the projects on my horizon is is uh, writing a, a book uh, or at least a, a paper with Walter Block about uh, libertarian fire departments, you know, because awesome. this has been a, uh, you know, obviously as a firefighter, you're told constantly by people, well, this is just one of those things that government has to provide. <laughs> but actually, if you look at the history of firefighting and it's starting as, as an out crop of like insurance companies and different things like that. And, you know, the, the proper, like there, there's all sorts of ways that, that my noble profession, let's say has been corrupted, right. It's become uh, about politics and it's about like, you know, the city councilor when you're, they're running for council, they're running for local government. If they get the, the blessing of the union, if they pose in front of the fire truck with the big gold leaf lettering, those are the ones that are most likely to get elected. And so, everything's focused on that image of supporting the politician and different things like that. It's, it's all about reaction and, and portraying us as heroes and, you know, sa sacrificial, whatever, like the, the noblest of noble for the community, right? When really proper fire fighting should be prevention. We should never ever ha be running into burning buildings. We should be, you know, the best firefighters are the engineers and, and the people who come up with, with standards that for construction that prevent the fire from ever happening. That's the most valuable thing to customers altogether. And, and if in a properly, you know, functioning community, that's where most of the focus would be on is making sure people have access to the, the safest way to, to build houses to prevent emergencies from ever happening. But anyways, I digress that, but, but you're right. That that's a, you know, a, a, a another issue in and of itself where government corrupts, something that could be noble yeah absolutely and uh uh talking about how well sorry i just lost my train of thought what was the basically the point you just made at the very end there oh, well I, I was talking about um um you know the, the this coercive uh relationship we have with our citizens where 
uh, you know, the money's extorted. They, they don't have access to other things. I, I mean, oh, I, I remember what it was. So you're talking about how, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I just, no, that's uh, good. I want to, I want to get it before it goes again. Uh, my mind's kind of like that sometimes, but uh, you were talking about the best firefighters or engineers and, uh, and stuff like that. Another uh, best firefighter would be if we had a society or a community uh, where uh, people were happy and healthy as opposed to completely destroyed by this entire governmental system. Because you, you can tell me this, I, I might be wrong, but aren't a lot of those fires kind of caused by a guy sitting there drinking all night and falling asleep, oh, smoking a cigarette in his bed? Like that wouldn't happen as much if we had right. a, a free society, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, okay, first of all, that, that fire I talked about that I almost died in was in a hoarder's house, okay? So someone who is mentally unwell, who is able to hoard mass amounts of just garbage in their place uh, without suffering and having, having to face their responsibility for it, right? Because they're getting welfare, different social supports, and, and you know, it's almost like that's being enabled that almost killed me and certainly burned down the house, you know, at, at our narco Polko, actually one year I gave this talk and I opened it up with this, the story that actually happened to me. Um, and it, it was, uh, as a fire Lieutenant going, going into, um, an apartment fire, I, I was, you know, tasked with, uh, search and rescue and initial fire suppression. So we were the first in, we kick open this door apartments full of smoke. We're trying to locate the fire. And I see this naked lady on the couch and she's big, like she's close to 300 pounds. Um, and, uh, she looked dead. She was motionless and there's like Cheeto, empty Cheeto bag, empty, uh, liquor bottles, cigarette carton, like just signs of her addiction to immediate gratification everywhere. And, uh, you know, Cheetos in her th I, I get face to face with her and, and shake her. I'm, I'm like, wake up. we got to get out of her eyes pop open. And instead of like following me out, she grabs me around the neck and tries to have a makeout sesh with me <laughs> right there in the middle of that fire. And I push her away and say, no, we got to go down. She's like, no, honey, come here. And she grabs me again. And she's trying to have a makeout sesh with me through this thing. Cause she sees this obviously hunky firefighter standing over her nose to nose, right. Trying to wake her up again. She wanted her immediate gratification. Didn't matter to her that the world was burning down around her. She wanted to have that immediate fix. So I'm like, no, we can't do this. We got to go. And she curled her, her, face up into this ugly smile and said, fuck you. And uh, I had to grab, you know, I had to violate the non-aggression principle. I grabbed her by the feet and hauled her, rug burned her all the way out to the, to the, uh, to the uh, uh, hallway there. But again, you know, and I, and I use that story because that's exactly what it's like being leader of the libertarian party or being a liberty <laughs> activist. It's like, guys, your addiction to immediate gratification here is burning the world down around you, and yet you still want more of that uh, uh, that thing that you're addicted to that's burning the world down. See, that, that, that fire, I argue, didn't start with that cigarette in the mattress. That was the proximate cause, but the, the real cause can be traced back through a, a causal chain of events, back to probably childhood trauma or something like that, that got her hooked on that. And that was nurtured and fostered by the statist environment around her that that never uh, gave her the opportunity to to fall down and and learn from her mistake. Right. It just continually to enable that behavior of addiction and consumption and letting her life fall apart to the point where the world's literally burning down around her while she's trying to have a makeout session. And that to me is is not that that kind of thing is not going to happen in uh, a society that values liberty and, and the flip side, which is personal responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you brought up an important part point there. Uh, all of that was all probably caused by trauma when she was a child. And when in our society, like forget about government and, and all that sort of stuff, but even in our society where like, this should be the number one thing we do with children and young people is, okay, let's fix your traumas because until you fix those things, it's going to basically end up like that woman did at the very end. Uh, because until you can get that basically repaired somehow, 
uh, everything else in your life is going to turn into a disaster. But where in our society do we ever talk about, like, like people say, oh, I should send my kid to the government school for 12 years so he gets a good job and has a good life. It's like, let's figure out what traumas he's got. And every kid's got traumas. It could just be, you know, like he broke his toy when he was a kid. At that moment in time, it was so horrendous that it actually stayed in his subconscious. And now it's still actually causing problems in his life. But yeah, like like even beyond all the government problems is is all these uh, personal problems that in our society today, hardly anyone ever even thinks about or talks about. And you kind of brought up earlier things like psychedelics, and that's actually why those can be quite good is because people can't find a way to see those things uh, on their own. And, and it's very hard to. You have to do a lot of meditation, a lot of self-work, a lot of just sitting there and analyzing things in your brain and watching your own brain, actually. And, and saying, where did that come from? And then you, you trace it back. You can actually sit there for like an hour and trace it back. Uh, it's like, oh, that when I was three, that happened. And, and then, you know, that's why I always tell myself I'm so stupid. It's like you'll actually start hearing things in your head like you're so stupid. <laughs> and then once you get good at it, you're like, you see it and you go, where did that come from? And then you figure it out. But hardly anyone even knows that's something you can or should do. Uh, so yeah, the world's a giant mess. <laughs> is the end right. of the, is the uh, basically the end of the story here, and we can make yeah. it a lot better through things like libertarianism, but also on things like everyone working on themselves is the most important part. And that's actually yeah. just so you know, that's that's why Anarchopoco has kind of developed the way it has. Uh, I don't think you were there for the first year, were you? No, 2015. No, no it I was, was gearing up for of, the federal election. Yeah. That year. It, Sorry, say it again. I was gearing up for the federal election, and you remember oh. uh, you you hopped on board uh, later that summer after Narco Polka was done, and uh, you came up to Canada and ran in Vancouver. We had some fun together. <laughs> yeah, I almost forgot about that. Um, but the very first year of Narco Polka, it was a lot of just sort of angry people. And every talk was mm. uh, just about how bad the government is. And you right. know, some people would have stats like, "Look at this! Look at this! It would be so much better without the government." Uh, there's other people like we've got to do something to get rid of them do this do that a lot of drinking and anger and what i kind of realized over the years is that yeah the government's bad absolutely <laughs> like, like there's a, right. anyone who looks into it for any amount of time it's like yeah it's it's a it's a net negative on basically everything always uh and and it would be so much better privatized but uh what i realized because you know the events was supposed to be about a freedom conference right mm. and i started to realize that uh most of us weren't free at all, not because of the governments, of course, the governments are part of it, but because of our own minds and our own issues and our own traumas. Uh, and so I, yeah. I think from year one, we had ayahuasca, maybe it was the second year we brought in ayahuasca and stuff. And so now it's kind of evolved into this thing of, um, you know, like that old uh, saying, I think it was Gandhi, uh, be the change you want to see in the world. Right. I actually never fully understood that but now i absolutely do because once you start to change everything around you starts to change it's it's right. amazing it's actually like we could go for hours on how crazy it is but you basically create the reality around you and in right. in, in, a, in a way it kind of expands and you can actually end up changing the whole world by changing yourself and when i realized that over the last few years then a lot of things in the book have changed. And now most people who come to the event are kind of in that mindset. So it's actually a pretty ma magical, amazing event, uh, as opposed to like in the early years where it was a lot of angry people, a lot of people just want to get rich on crypto, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, most of the people who come there now are actually on a bit of a journey to uh, work on themselves. And they do at the event, as that one guy did. And it's pretty amazing right. to see some of the, uh, <laughs> the changes. Well, and, and that's, that's what I love too. You know, when I started this show... Uh, you know, part of my hope was to to move away from outrage porn, right? Which is like, <laughs> look at all this outrageous stuff that's going on around me. I, you know, I still love that. I still love a little bit of outrage porn. There's still going to be a little bit of outrage porn on this channel, guys. I can't help myself. But my hope is to evolve past that, you know, into, okay, what what tools can I actually use? What tools can I provide to my audience to 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 find freedom in an unfree world. That's kind of the tagline of this podcast is how to find freedom in an unfree world. And it, it comes back to that, that Gandhi quote again, be the change you want to be, or, or the way I, I thought about it the other day. Um, you know, I, I interviewed this, uh, this Russian dissident who's a libertarian who's, who sparked like 60 rallies of 60,000 people and had Hans Herman Hoppe speak at an event in Moscow 
he's he's exiled now he was jailed and stuff he 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 was kind of advocating for you know adopting leftist tactics or something like that and i was I, i'm a little skeptical of that and the, and the thing i thought of is like aren't you worried that the means become the ends it's not it's not it's not even so much that the ends justify the means it's that the means that we use determine the ends like the the means are the ends in and of themselves so if you're using the the means of our enemy you can expect the same result that our enemy respect is uh getting so I, I like that idea of um you know kind of be the change you want to be uh, have that integrity but it, it's difficult right jeff because you get a, yeah, you get easy. a much you get a much quicker uh bang for your buck if you just slide into some outrage porn like all the kind of right-wing commentators do the you, you know the ben shapiro's and matt walsh's and all these people who are you know they have some great content out there but it's all kind of angry and pointing out hypocrisy and pointing out failures of the system and it, it just gets us worked up into this negative shake our fist we got to do something and that something never works and yet you know, there are things right here today within our grasp that can make our lives better and improve uh, the the range of choices available to us and increase our personal freedom right now. Why should we, we should be working on those instead of focused on things that we're not likely to change at all? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, something I've thought a lot about over the years. You know, like I, I do my show with Lucy and we talk about all the crazy, horrible things going on, but I've got a little bit of a different take on it. I laugh at it all and and actually uh, show how things could be better and show solutions and stuff like that. But, you know, there is something definitely to the saying that what you focus on, I forget what the saying is, but basically what, whatever you focus on is basically... Uh, I forget exactly how it works, but, but like it becomes your but, destiny almost. Yeah. Like uh, if, if all you're focusing on is all the horrible things happening in the world, you're basically not going to have a good time. Right, <laughs> um, right. uh, whereas if you focus on a lot of positive things now, you it's actually good to kind of, well, it, in general, it's good to kind of know what's happening. Uh, then you can make better decisions. Right. So sure. I kind of try to let people know what's going on, try to show them what's actually really happening, which uh, hardly anyone ever knows usually. Uh, and but then, you know, focus on like the positive things, the good things and do those things and actually become the change. That's actually the most important thing, really. Like you look yeah. at uh, so many Christians, for example, and uh, they're like, well, if you believe in Jesus, uh, you will go to heaven. It's like, I don't know. Right. I've, I've listened to what they say Jesus said. Uh, basically, he was telling you how to become like him. Uh, and then if you become like him, then this world, yes, it turns into heaven right. on earth. Uh, right. Because if, if people become like him and they're, they're not tied, they don't have all these, you know, they're not, they will, they're not going to rob someone to get some more money because they realize they're basically, they're, they're God's creation. And that's also God's creation. And to uh go and hurt them or steal from them and that sort of stuff uh will just uh it, it's not right like you wouldn't even want think that way and uh you know like jesus said do unto others as you want them to do unto you very basic stuff but hardly anyone actually does it they just uh say they they, they go to the church they give the church some money every week and then they just continue doing their things but no one tries to become like jesus that's the whole point and if a lot of people did try to do that which is basically doing the self-work a lot of that stoicism stuff, like, you know, go go fast for, for three days to start with, but try to do 40 like they, they said those guys did, right? And then you'll right. find like true God and then you will actually change the entire world massively uh, in one way or another. And then if there's numerous people doing that kind of stuff, the world changes dramatically. So, yeah, the point is don't sit there. Well, you can do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, but I wouldn't recommend sitting there and watching things that just make you angry about the world all day. Uh, it's, like I said, good to know some of those things, but then really focus on your passion, really do the self-work. And most people don't realize, like, that's another thing that, like, we just don't talk about in our society. It's a lot in, the, in Eastern society. They know a lot of this stuff. But in the West, we don't talk about doing, like, all this self-work, the shadow work and all that kind of stuff. And that's actually the most important kind of thing to do. Um, you know, when I, like I've changed so much in the last few years and I think I started meditating about, I actually can't really remember, but it, I think it was around five years ago. Uh, it was super, super hard. I had to see things, you know, like th memories would come back and stuff or, or actually just feelings. I'd have to figure out what the, what actually happened. 
but I'd actually have to feel that pain and stuff like that. That would be like every day I did that for years. Uh, but I just kept doing it because I could tell it was it was helping me. Every time I'd, I'd, I'd actually feel this pain or whatever the thing was, it would actually go away after that uh, in various mm -hmm. ways. So um, I just continued to do that self-work. And now it's gotten to the point where uh, I meditate pretty much at least two hours every day. Um, right, and it eh? actually is something that's not as difficult as it used to be. There's some difficult days, but there's a lot of days where I'm just like almost in bliss for like two hours. Um, and, and that's the, that's the amazing stuff. Uh, right. everything else, you know, how does, you know, financial stuff that's secondary. Uh, it's all secondary to, to, to getting into that kind of a state. What, what type of, um, recommendation recommendation do you have for people who are want to start doing some meditating what kind of meditation do you do what are the steps that sort of thing yeah it's funny because i don't even know if there's a word for what i do i don't even know if uh anyone else does it the way i do i actually have like it's a very sort of a personal sort of a thing but basically when i first uh, tried to do it I, I sensed there was something that probably was good about it and I wanted to do it. So just like with anything, you just got to keep trying, right? Like, so if if you want to become a, mar a marathon runner, uh, you don't run a marathon the first day, right? So you basically, yeah. you know, just try to do something the first day. And then you try to do a bit more the next day. And that's basically how I started with meditation. And I heard about all sorts of things. And I was like, I, I don't feel like I'm really getting anything out of it. And then people would be like, oh, look at your eyes in the mirror while you meditate. Or chant this mantra or all these kind of things. But I just kept trying to do it every day. And it got to a point where I was having like, uh, like and, I said, and what really, was it that you were trying to do? Was it just clear your <laughs> mind, think thoughts of gratitude? Were you doing it first thing when you woke up? What was the, what did it look like? Well, uh, the funny thing is the key to it all, uh, it turns out is not trying to do anything, uh, <laughs> but in order to be able to do that, you have to keep practicing until you right, can get to the point when you can do that. Um, basically, yeah, that's what you're trying to do. But, uh, you know, in the early days I would kind of just tell myself, okay, don't try not to think, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'd sit there for a minute, but here's the interesting part. Like I could do it for like a minute and then a, a thing would come to my head, like better get to work. We've got to make some money. <laughs> and then I'd, it, I'd be like, wait a second, where, who said that? Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like I'm <laughs> hearing it. Who, who said it? And, and it's basically you, but it's your subconscious and all that kind of stuff. And um, over time, you just start to learn. Uh, basically, what you're doing is is watching your mind is what you're doing a lot of the time. Uh, once you get like after years and years, I get got to the point where I'm almost beyond that and I can do all kinds of amazing things. But um, that's a big part of it is watching your mind. And a lot of people will say like, you know, I just can't sit there and and like not think like I always have thoughts. They just keep popping up. Well, if that's how you are, you 100% need to learn how to meditate right. because your mind is going crazy and your mind is incredibly powerful. It can actually create the, and this whole reality if it wants. Uh, but uh, if you don't have, if it's your master and you're not its master, uh, it's, it's the difference. It's night and day. It's hell right. versus heaven. Is uh, there a time can, of day that you find works better for you? Yeah, for me, like I wake up, I'll check my email, you know, kind of, you know, slowly wake up, you know how it is, right? Yeah. For like an hour, just kind of, you know, get back situated in the world again. Uh, and then I, I do, what I actually do is I do a coffee enema pretty, pretty much every day. I put like what? about 100 vitamins and minerals and all kinds of stuff in it. I uh, Then I lie down on my right side. Oh, and then here's the key. Here's when my meditations went next level. One puff of weed. So I have one puff. And... I'm basically a meditative zone for hours after that. And uh, so I'll do the coffee enema, meditate. I might, you know, take the enema out at some point, but then I come back, meditate again. Then I might go in my massage chair, meditate again. Sometimes in a hyperbaric chamber, I'll do it. Uh, and uh, but basically, I find the mornings are definitely the best time, um, you know, because the whole thing is when, when you do it in the morning, you really set the tone for the entire day. Hmm. Um, and, and the whole point of it is to slow down your mind. But if you, if you get going and you're going to work and you're doing, going meetings and then you try to do it afterwards, I've never actually tried to do that. It, it sounds way harder. Uh, so that's why I would just suggest uh, right. mornings probably better. Right. 
And when do you recommend taking your coffee enema? <laughs> when? Uh, right yeah. before I meditate is when I do. Right it. before you meditate. Okay. Is and, it and like is thing, it like, like chugging a beer with your butt, or is it just chugging a coffee? You're, yeah. Yeah, but I put You're tons tested. of minerals and vitamins and stuff in it. Um, but here's the thing: like when I first started doing, the reason I started doing it, most things actually that I, the reason I started doing it was I was drinking a lot and I wanted to continue to drink alcohol. Uh, but I could tell it was going to go really bad unless I really took care of my health. So I looked into all this health stuff, right? So, you know, alcohol, bad for your liver. So then I heard coffee enemas are good for your liver. So that's when I, why I started. But uh, what I found out is after just doing it a few times, I felt incredible after the enema. It Basically what it does, just so you know, is it the, the caffeine goes into your liver and stimulates it. And your liver starts moving out all the bad stuff, like real fast. And because it's an enema, you then get it out right away so you don't feel sick. So a lot of that stuff's pretty toxic. So, and basically all your blood's going through your liver. So you basically what you're doing is cleaning your blood in the morning and it, it makes you feel so incredible. So that on top of meditation every day, basically when I'm done, I feel like better than I've ever felt ever uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, all that kind of stuff, uh, doing it with the coffee enemas. Wow, that's crazy. I'm gonna have I don't to think look. anyone else really does that, just so you know. <laughs> I, 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 I never heard of that. I've heard of kids uh, chugging beer with their butts, uh, <laughs> different things, and it's, you know, but uh, I've never heard oh, of Oh, just a side enema. note. I, I, I had a doctor look, I had, uh, my kidneys were hurting one day. Uh, I was drinking way too much. And uh, he did the ultrasound thing. And uh, he, he looked at my liver and uh, he went, Oh my God, basically in Spanish. And I was like, oh man, that's the last thing you want to hear from like a doctor looking at your liver is like shock, right? And I had been drinking pretty hard for you. Used, you know me, you almost carried yeah, yeah. me home in Victoria one night. Thank you yeah. again for that. I still remember <laughs> that. That was like one of the nicest things that like anyone's ever done for me. Like you were so cool. Like I, I was pretty drunk and you just made sure I got back to the hotel and stuff. Um, so you know how I used to drink. And uh, so the doctor was in shock and then I go, how bad is it? He goes, I've never seen a more perfect liver. It's like a newborn baby's liver. Wow. And I was like, coffee enema. Coffee <laughs> enema. Huh? Yeah. All right. Wow. Shit. Okay. I'm going to, going to have to get your recipe and post it uh, down below for the <laughs> listeners uh, who, who want to start meditating and coffee enemas to prepare for the apocalypse. Any other uh, <laughs> tips, health tips, uh, you know? biohacking tips uh we're, we're pulling all sorts of nuggets out of you today oh we're pulling man, more man. nuggets out of you than a coffee enema you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i do so many health related things it's it's ridiculous like i actually haven't really told anyone exactly what i do but it's like you hear about michael jackson sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber and his right. his water his shower is like evian and stuff like I'm so much beyond all that. Like I do coffee enema, then I meditate in a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, so I push all the vitamins and minerals from the enema all through into my blood. Then I get out and I do like a, uh, I've got like a cryogenic uh, a chamber in cryotherapy chamber in my house. Oh, uh, three minutes of minus 200 degrees. Uh, shock my system. Then I get into the, uh, the steam room and then the sauna, meditate in there. Like this goes on for like three or four hours every single day. Um, wow. And I've left out about a hundred things that I do every single day. Like, a, I was thinking the other day, it's funny because like every now and then I have like a, a breakthrough. It's like, whoa, this is definitely improved. And I and then I think to myself, what have I been doing, you know, lately that might have done the trick for this? You know, I do stem cells I like all the time. Uh, and, and I always think to myself, man, I do so many things all at once. There's no way to tell which thing was the thing that really helped. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the old shotgun blast uh, effect. It reminds me of uh, what we used to do when we had an unconscious uh, person. We gave them uh, a ninja cocktail uh, because we didn't know why they were unconscious. So we, we would give them Narcan, uh, uh, sugar, uh, an X8, which is uh, the... Uh, antidote to like a benzodiazepine overdose and uh, we'd give them some vitamins just in case uh, vitamin b12 in case it was an alcoholic seizure type thing so we gave them like uh, just a syringe full of shit we're like and if, and and they'd wake up and then we're like well we don't know which one woke <laughs> them up like it could have been four different things that was wrong with them but whatever we gave them work so it's kind of what that reminds you of. 
Uh, cool. All right, buddy. While well, we're coming up on an hour, I really appreciate uh, your time. Where can the audience go to find out uh, more essential wisdom from the Dollar Vigilante? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, definitely go to the dollar, dollarvigilante.com for our financial newsletter. Uh, you can get all our blogs and stuff on there. We do a blog almost every day. Uh, we also do videos numerous times a week, and uh, you can get it through the website or at vigilante.tv. Uh, if you're interested in Arcapoco, we're doing it for 10th years coming up next year, and I really hope you make it next year, Tim. Let's talk about that and see if we can yeah, find yeah. a way. Um, and um, uh, that's going to be coming up in February. That's anarcapoco.com. And yeah, I think that's about it. That's, uh, but uh, probably the, the funnest thing that a lot of yeah. people love and I love is my videos that I do with Lucy. I should bring her over. Lucy, Lucy, Ben, Lucy. <laughs> I got an apple. She loves apples. Lucy, Lucy, apples. Yeah, here she comes. Yeah, yeah, I love I love watching your morning walks with Lucy. Yeah, so this that's the thing that I, I love doing, and a lot of people love it. And so that's my real uh, favorite thing to do. And she loves apples, right, Lucy? Well, that's the good stuff. Hi, Tim. I'm gonna go have some of this. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> cool. I've been uh, I became a dog dad here uh, last year, so he's yeah. They they run your life when you when you have one of those little mutts in your life. But uh, okay, I'm definitely going to have to check out the dollar vigilante, uh, you know, go with what's going on in the world, Jeff, uh, with banks going down. I mean, we're seeing some signals and I know there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of uh, advice and services that you offer there and have to check out. And I'm definitely going to try to make it to an Arco Poco next year. The, the, the two or three times I've been, I've had a blast. Um, so I'm going to have to make sure I get some time off next year. Uh, thanks so much, brother, for all you do for Liberty and, and the community of uh, Liberty lovers. And uh, hopefully we we'll see you again soon. Yeah, if you don't mind, like uh, I'm going to post this video on my channels as well. Absolutely. Uh, so just let, let me know because I don't even know. Like uh, you haven't really told me like when what is this show? When did you start it? Where can people get it? Oh, yeah. I'll just I mean, let people know uh, on my own channel. If you're watching this, Tim Moan's like amazing. Like he's one of the best speakers. I really wanted him to become prime minister of Canada because <laughs> he would have been an amazing. Uh, he would have shut down basically the whole government, basically. Uh, but uh, obviously, uh, the you know people in Canada aren't quite ready for freedom yet they're not even close by the looks of it but uh, let people yeah. know so they I introduce yourself to my audience because this is going to be on my channel too yeah well I, I started up you know what what's funny is I actually about two months ago I started up um, a men's group just a local men's group because I, uh, I you know I, I was on this podcast and the podcast host uh, uh, was talking about uh, this men's group he started and how his podcast emerged out of that how um, his other buddy who was in the men's group went on and, and got elected as uh, an MLA in Saskatchewan and how another buddy from his men's group went on to start a multi-million dollar business and how they, they're just learning to become helping each other become better fathers, husbands, different things like that. And I'm like, you know, I've always been kind of a lone wolf. I'm an introvert. I think I'm kind of wired a bit like you, Jeff, right? Like, you know, it's fun to go out and socialize, but at a certain point, the energy drains and we have to go back to our fortress of solitude and recover and, and, you know, have <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, and, and so, and, you know, I'm an individualist. So to me, it's always been me against the world kind of thing. And yeah, I, I love my libertarians, but, you know, the, the, the connection wasn't necessarily there. We talk about how bad the state is and stuff, but what I realized was missing in my life. And especially after going through the last two years of two or three years of social isolation engineered by our government, um, I, I realized I was really missing a connection with, um, with community. And so I, I went and intentionally built one and I reached out to a few guys I knew had different worldviews in me that would challenge me, that had something to offer me and that I knew I had something to offer them. And uh, we started a men's group. And that's actually one of the things that I'm really hoping to, to look at more because uh, it's been amazing uh, being part of this men's group. It, just like half a dozen of us and growing, um, you know, we're kind of being intentional about who we want. But eventually what I'd like to do is offer, um, you, you know, uh, mentorship for other men who want to start men's groups. And, and you know, I'd really like to see young men get this type of thing because that's one of the things we're really missing today I feel is is uh, male mentorship it's become coming you know a lot of single moms a lot of broken homes a lot of young men uh, they either go the route of being kind of beta cucks or incels or somewhere in between they're they're the lost boys and they, they it's because they don't they haven't had the 
the uh, gifts that I've been given from having male mentors in, in a very masculine field, the, the fire service. And, and so I kind of want to do that. Anyways, long story short, I started this men's group and it's been very inspiring and motivating and challenging. And this uh, podcast emerged out of that. It's like, okay, I need to make an impact on the world. One of the things we did was create kind of a vision and set goals like one year, three year, 10 year. Where do we want to be? Um, some guys are wanting help being a better husband and father. Others are like better entrepreneur. And, and so this kind of came out of that visioning process and that being challenged by this group of men around me. And so it's the, it's the Tim Moen show and, uh, it's on all the, the, you know, podcast services, rumble, YouTube, just look up Tim Moen, the Tim Moen show, and you'll find me. And, uh, I also am starting a, um, I have a, uh, a sub stack and a locals page. So if you want to support me uh, financially, throw, throw me a cup of coffee a month, you can go to my locals page or to my Substack, timmoen.substack.com and um, and throw a few shekels your boy's way here to help me through the next apocalypse. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I appreciate it, Jeff. Yeah, that's great. And you're also on vigilante.tv. We added your show there for people. Uh, and yeah, that's awesome. Like we just talked about being the change you want to see in the world and you're doing it. You're creating like there's two super important things that are totally missing right now in the West. And again, like we've been like hardcore libertarians for like a long time, but yes, the government's bad, but until we fix ourselves and fix our communities, nothing's really going to get fixed. And the, the two big things or what two of the biggest things that are missing is definitely real men uh, and community. And so you're doing mm -hmm. both of them. Uh, and of course, a real man is, is a person who's always striving to get better and better and to be, a better man for his family, his community, for himself, uh, and that sort of a thing. And then community is so big. Like I just was talking about that, right? Like I didn't even realize that's what you do now. But uh, I actually already brought it up that um, most of these problems in our society today, yeah, the government is definitely a big part of it. But uh, the the other biggest part of it is that people are, are just, uh, you know, totally destroyed and there's no sort of society anymore uh, where people try to help each other and take care of each other and and even if they did they don't even know how to do that anymore a lot of this is right. all caused by the government of course but that's great that you're you're doing that and uh, you're basically leading by example and and trying to do stuff like that so for my audience out there if uh, you're interested in starting like a men's group sort of a thing like tim does uh, definitely contact them yeah definitely reach out i'm, I'm very available reach out to me through social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, wherever you can find me. Uh, you know, I usually reply to my messages within a couple of days. So awesome. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks, Tim.